Hey, I'm Max Clark. I've talked about peer and interconnection, the internet, the fact that the internet is a global computer network of interconnected networks in the past. Still a mouthful to say every single time. And figured I'd just actually share some examples of this stuff of how networks are actually built and, and how do they actually work. Um, this is a network map um, from Zeo's website. Zeo is a um, fiber optic provider. They have a lot of metro and long haul fiber assets in the United States. They have assets outside of the United States. This is a map of their United States um, uh, you know, markets and how they actually connect. And these are really fun because if I zoom in here a little bit, oops, let's see if I can do this here in a way that makes sense here. I'm gonna try this again. Yeah, oh, I can swirl around here. So here's Los Angeles. And if you look at Los Angeles, there actually is cable that connects LA to Santa Barbara to San Luis Obispo. So don't look at this and be like, oh, this map is incorrect. There's this weird cable that's running in the ocean, but it's just a mistake. It's probably actually the cable that's running the ocean. But if you look at the rest of these cables that run along here, this cable that comes up here to Palmdale and then comes over to Barstow, this cable that comes down here to San Diego, this one that goes from Barstow to Las Vegas, up here we go to Tulare. You know, let's see if I can grab, Oop, I can't grab. We look at this thing at a larger scale, what you're seeing here is you are seeing the U.S. railroad network in action and where the rail lines actually run. Like, why does this thing here have this little, like, mountain and this hill in here? I mean, nobody would build a network that had this, like, random thing here. Well, it's probably because there's some kind of rail depot right here. We have to look it up and see what it actually is that has this indent that brings this cutout. When we are doing a capacity planning and we're talking about a redundancy on bigger markets and I'll use this LA to Las Vegas as an example because I'm doing this a lot right now with people but you want to have a data center in Los Angeles and you want to put a data center in Los, and uh, Las Vegas and you want redundancy between those two markets well you can't have redundancy on the same path this direct path between LA and Vegas now you can you could rely on your provider to give you redundancy and by the way you know Zao has a service and products and things like that where you know if this cable cut Zeo could reroute that traffic across a different path. So you can rely on your fiber provider when you're purchasing, name it whatever you want to call it nowadays. You can call it MPLS, VPLS, Wave, Dim Fiber, Dark Fiber, well, Dark Fiber doesn't count, but it has to be some sort of lit service. You can rely on the provider to actually give you diversity and redundancy within their own infrastructure. So if this cable breaks here, route this route this traffic a different direction. Now you wouldn't have control over the routing of which way it goes, or you could then specify, hey, I want this other pathing and I want this circuit to only be this direction and I want this other circuit to be this other direction. And then you get into a decision point. In the case of LA to Vegas, do you want to route your traffic for your secondary circuit to Phoenix to San Diego back to Los Angeles? Or do you want to route your traffic from Vegas to Reno, Sacramento, and then back down to LA? And why this really matters in capacity planning with these kind of networks is a route between LA and Vegas is pretty quick. It's a it's it's a you know sub 10 millisecond network link. Routing from Vegas to Phoenix to San Diego to Los Angeles is a lot more than 10 milliseconds. And the same thing, routing from Vegas to Reno to Sacramento to, to San Jose and then back down as well is a lot more than 10 milliseconds. If you are doing something on your network that requires a consistent high speed, low latency link, right? Um, what do I mean by this? Usually this is database replication. If you're running any sort of clustering systems for your database between two systems and you're replicating data real time, you want predictability. And if that latency all of a sudden spikes up 4X, your application is going to have a bad time. It is going to freak out on you. 
Now, that's a really kind of simplistic example of DR between LA and Vegas. Um, and if you if you look at these markets, you know, there's there's no there's a reason why a lot of San Francisco or San Jose, Silicon Valley, we'll just use Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley based sites end up in Salt Lake City. It's uh, seismically stable. Um, you have lots of capacity. You've got a good nice ring that runs up and down. You know, you can you can have a, a non you know, this non-direct route, this ring that goes back. And you can also see here how these network signs actually physically get built. You know, if, again, Los Angeles, if you're going from Los Angeles to, where's a good place in the East Coast? Um, let's say you want to go from Los Angeles to Ashburn, Virginia, because you want to connect to AWS. Um, you can get a point-to-point -point circuit from LA to Ashburn. And when you look at that that point-to-point, -point, you're only going to see LA and you're going to see Ashburn and you're going to see whatever latency is in between it. Now, in reality, you know, Zao or whoever else that you're using, Lumen, AT&T, Verizon, we can go down the list, anybody, they're routing the traffic across their backbone. And in this case, that traffic could be going LA to San Diego or LA to Phoenix, to Tucson, to Dallas, to Atlanta, to Charlotte, and then up to Washington. That's pretty common. That's a pretty normal route. Or you could be, for some reason, going to Vegas, Salt Lake, and then to, you know, Denver, and then Omaha, then Chicago, then Cleveland, and over to Vegas. And that happens as well. Ellips, elliptical kind of configurations. So you have these redundancies. And that's why you see even here in uh, Edmonton above Calgary, right? You know, you've got, one, you know, two routes that come in. Redundancy, you've kind of got this ring. And you Quebec City, you know, like look here, you know, we've got this ring, you know, two network paths. Again, diversity fiber gets cut. It happens all the time. And you want to have redundancy with it. So, you know, if you're going out and you're buying... Um, network capacity and you have specific link needs and specific latency needs and and you're looking at this and you're trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B, you can actually specify. You know, if if you're getting into this, we we do this all the time where we're like, hey, we need to provide capacity, you know, we you know, we're doing a project up to, you know, Modesto right now. And in this case, um, we want to know what is the actual physical path that's running you know, what are we actually using? How do we plan redundancy between a primary link and a secondary link? And what is that redundancy actually going to look like? And what will the expectation be for um, the application and the end user, you know, if there's a service outage on one of these links? Again, it happens a lot. Fiber gets cut. It is a fact of life. Um, fortunately, the stories of the backhoes randomly digging in fields isn't the problem as much anymore because people kind of understand that that's a big no-no. And if you do that, it's very expensive. But it happens. There was a big cut, you know, a few years ago um, in the Virginia market. And somebody had a, um, had a drill, a giant auger bit, and they were drilling down. And they got into, you know, um, massive fiber optic trunk cables and just, you know, <laughs> ripped that sucker up and it was a big outage and it was expensive i mean that contractor's insurance company whoo well um as provided that they did everything they were supposed to do um it was their insurance company and not the contractor themselves but it was expensive okay so that's a little bit on us we can get into details if you have questions on this stuff shoot me a note make a comment and i'll i'll expand onto this thing again you know you start with major markets right you know we talk about like in terms of like football cities usually, right? What are the major football cities? Well, that's where you end up with major population centers as well as a major network assets. Um, and if you just kind of look at this, you know, LA, Denver, Salt Lake, Minneapolis, Chicago, right? You know, what do they have in common? Well, you know, major population centers and they have football teams. So professional sports usually mimic population centers pretty closely. Um, over here on the left, we see PC1, we see Southern Cross, we see these other things in the ocean, right? AEC1, Apollo South, Durant, GlobeNet. These are oceanic cable systems. And boy, do I love oceanic cable systems. This stuff is fun. So um, these are the names of the cable. 
And now PC one, by the way, has a pair. There's a there's a it's never just one cable when they put these things in. Like you see a AC one, AC two. These are when they were built. But so PC one has a cable that runs into Seattle. There's another one that um, Zao apparently is not buying that runs down here into. Um, it actually runs into Grover Beach right up here in. Um, San Luis Obispo area. So here's San Luis Obispo, little black dot right there, Los Osos. Uh, PC1's other cable runs into Grover Beach and runs into that into that market. So we're gonna we're gonna switch. Let me see if I can switch uh, tabs over here. Share this tab instead. So telegraphy um, or telegeography. <laughs> How could I go with telegraphy? Uh, creates these really cool maps, and and you can buy these things and and frame them and put them on your wall. And I've I've had this for years, and it shows you different cable systems. And you can see here up in the Hudson Bay, we've got this little cable system, which is the Eastern Arctic Undersea Fiber Optic Network. Well, that's a mouthful. Um, and and there are places and markets where it is more effective and cheaper to actually build a cable system, hopscotches up a coastline versus actually constructing in you know in the country, right? So you see this a lot, you know, here on the um, coast of Brazil, and we see this a well coming up from um, from Chile and even Argentina, right? Where instead of the cables necessarily being built in country, they're just hopping around the coast. Same thing, you know, kind of have this same thing happening here in Africa. Um, let's come around the horn here and look at Asia because of course this gets really dense um, really quickly. Lots of islands, lots of, of cable crossing. Um, Here's that PC1 cable, Pacific Crossing 1. We'll, we'll highlight and zoom in onto this in a moment. But you can see here the effect of all these cable maps. Now, fun thing with a lot of these countries in Asia, by the way, is in order to do a cable landing into that country, the landing station, the, the operator of the network that actually runs into the country has to be majority owned by an entity in that country. So when Global Crossing started building into Asia, they created a subsidiary called Asia Global Crossing, which was, um, I think, Microsoft and SoftBank, if I remember correctly. SoftBank? I think it's SoftBank. And then they would build the cable in the ocean, and then they would have a partnership with an entity that they were a 49% owner of in the actual country, in, in the actual country, and that company would contract with the landing station, the building, and then pull this cable out into the ocean to when they got into international waters, and then the cable in the and in the international waters would then meet and interconnect and splice in with the actual cable the Asia Global Crossing owned, and and off to the races they were right. And so most of these things have that kind of fun little geopolitical issue. Um, I'm gonna come over here to the West Coast and let's find. So here's Pacific Crossing PC1, and um. Boy, there are a lot of cables running between the West Coast of the United States and coming over here into Japan. Why is that? Well, first off, short. This is the shortest distance in the ocean between these two points, right? So, you know, you want to build cable, you want to do it for the shortest route, you want to get to where you want to go as quickly as possible, and um, and that's what you have. The other thing you have is you have subfloor geography and terrain, so what's what's the actual, um, you know, mountains. Mountains the right term. So mountains and valleys under the ocean affect how you run your cable and how long the cable needs to be and things along those lines. So up here, we have um, Harbor Point, a.k.a. Seattle, Washington, and you can see here this cable runs down and also has Grover Beach. So just uh, just outside of San Luis Obispo. And this runs over here to Japan in two locations. Now, this is back to what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about US map. If you look at this thing, it turns into a giant ring. So when the owner of, oh, by the way, oh, it's nice over here. It shows you your landing points and it shows you your the website. When you buy capacity on PC1, you get a choice. You can say, hey, I want to buy capacity on PC1 from, you know, here in Harbor Point, Washington or Seattle, because we're going to interconnect with you and probably Western building. And I want to bring it over here and uh, take it to Tokyo. And I only want one path. You could do that. Or you could say, I want one link on the Northern route and I want one link on the Southern route. And I'm going to interconnect with you here, you know, maybe in San Jose or in Los Angeles and then vice versa. I'm going to bring it over here and then I'm going to manage redundancy myself or you as a network 
customer could go to PC1 and you could say, hey, I want to interconnect from the United States to Japan and I want it to be diverse and I want you to manage it for me and I want you to do everything and I want you to not think about it. And you can do that as well. And it's just layers of service and what kind of control that you want to have and, and where you actually go. Okay, let's look up another cable. Go back to show all cables. Let's look at uh, the the cable network that started it all for Global Crossing. Um, this is the folklore of Gary Winnick drawing this on a napkin and um, selling this sucker like hotcakes to every major company and financial services thing and like literally basically walking into a law firm and saying, I want all your lawyers. We're going to go back over here to this meeting room at a hotel. We're going to make a contract right now. And we're going to sell this thing and just just basically printing money and starting uh, you know a, a multi-billion dollar empire. Brookhaven, New York, landing point, runs across. You can see this one coming in here. White Sands Bay, why is it coming here? Well, it's coming here for London. You know, this is what's taking us into the United Kingdom. And of course, it's coming here into Amsterdam and then to Germany. So in um, another video, I talk about just why is Paris popular? Why is Ashburn popular? Why is Frankfurt popular? Why is London popular? You know, again, a lot of it becomes this capacity and access to the transoceanic routes, in this case, the Atlantic cables going to the United States, and then also what becomes the terrestrial cable systems that then interconnect, right? So if you're in, if you're, at, you know, not a lot of cable landings coming into Madrid, Spain, or Barcelona, for instance. So what do you do instead? You build a terrestrial system up to Paris, or you, you know, into the Netherlands, um, but more than likely, you're going to France, and then you're going to, you know, hop across from there. You know, this, this, you know, this is really fun to look at. And, um, and we can, you know, here's I mean, here's the other thing. So the Mediterranean Sea, not only are there a lot of cables flowing through this, there's a lot of something else flowing through this stuff. There are ships, a lot of freight traffic, right? So if you look at here, not only is this an oceanic cable system that runs through here, right? But this is this is the strait. This is the Suez Canal where all this, the, the container vessels come in and out of. I'll zoom out a second so you can just see this a little bit bigger, right? This is shipping coming up here and going up this path and going this direction. And what you see every couple months is you hear about some container vessel that was dragging its cable, its anchor, and then they got fouled up on a cable and it cut the cable and the cable system went offline. And if you're talking about a cable system here, you know, depending where it gets cut, I'm spelling this wrong or is it just not coming up here? There we go. So here's this cable. We're doing this live. There we go. Why that becomes a big deal is there's... Unlike the Pacific or Atlantic crossings, it's a lot harder to build redundancy between your cable system between South Korea and Amsterdam. Which other direction do you go when you look at this map? Obviously, they decided not to go around Africa. And part of the reason why they didn't do that is because of cost. It's not direct. Um, and it's also probably not economically viable for them to go through Africa because they can't do landings and sell capacity. What happens, and if you're in the United States, you, do, you really don't expect feel this when this happens but if you're in europe i guarantee you felt this once or twice or if you're in asia you felt this once or twice is this cable gets cut somewhere in between greece and uh, tunisia usually and when that happens all of a sudden all of your traffic has to route instead of going between south korea and western europe it goes and literally hops the other direction and goes to the united states and finds capacity the other way these things this isn't like a cable like uh like a you know like a little thing right this isn't like your fiber optic patch cord i mean these are big cables you know i mean the cable is 
it's a few inches in diameter because you have a fiber optic core and then you've got um, insulation and then you've got um, uh, electrical conductor, more insulation, another electrical conductor, and, and then um, an outer layer and this kind of like armament. And the reason why you've got the electrical conductors is because you have to put power. Direct current gets, gets pumped down these cables in addition to the light impulses in the fiber to actually power the region, the inline uh, amplifier systems that have to regenerate the light as it goes along. Um, I'll, I'll just segue into this a little bit. Um, light degrades over the fiber optic. It's not, it's, it's a, it's, it's not glass. It's really like a plastic, a polymer. And so the light only, only works for so, so, so far, right? And so it used to be that you had to have an amplifier every, you know, 40 to 80, you know, 40 kilometers and 80 kilometers, now 100 kilometers. Now we see, you know, inline amplifier systems coming out and cable, it's 200 kilometers. And so that's a pretty big deal because the, the farther that you can run without having an, an amplifier system, the cheaper your cable is to put in. So if you're in the ocean, you don't have to have these like torpedo looking doohickeys that are attached to the cable because they're expensive. And the same thing, if you're terrestrial, you don't have to have an, um, an, um, an inline system, an ILS, it's like a usually, it's, I mean, it's, they call them huts, right? Like it's literally a building with a generator and like, and like cable comes in and it goes through electrical equipment and then it comes out the other side. Anyway, so, uh, so these cable systems, uh, you know, I mean, this, this stuff is fun. And so you see, you know, I mean, this, there's a lot of geopolitical pressure on this stuff, but then we have some fun stuff that comes up and, you know, there's networks that before, um, current events, we're, we're talking about building directly over the pole between Canada and Russia. Fat, it's much faster to go straight over the pole. We've got other fun cable systems. I'll show you here when you zoom in a little bit, Gulf of Mexico, fiber optic network. Why would you need a fiber optic network? in the Gulf of Mexico connecting Freeport, Texas to Pascagoula, Mississippi. Guess what's in here in this Gulf? These are oil platforms. Gulf of Fiber, Mexico Fiber Optic Network is connecting oil platforms back to shore for network capacity, voice services, you know, everything, right? You need to have a network connected. Also here, nice fun little Gulf of Mexico, uh, Gulf of California cable connecting Baja with um, main, what we call mainland Mexico, I guess. And there's a lot of fun, these little things here. I talk another video about Miami. Boom, here's Miami. And here is all of these cables landing from Miami. You know, here, here's where they land. They come up. Everything on the eastern seaboard of um, Latin America, of South America, Central America, all of the Caribbean, all comes up here into Miami. Some that built the rings, like Mid-Atlantic Crossing, you can see actually built a ring and come up all the way up here into New York. But a lot of these cable systems here terminate in Miami. I'm going to click back over here to the sail map and I'm going to connect the dots for you. And look what we have down here in Miami. We have a fiber optic system that follows dum -da -dum, railroads and then comes up. So here we have Miami and then here we're connecting back up and boom. Here's your ring up to Atlanta, major interconnection point. You're in Atlanta. You're now on the on-ramp to the rest of the United States. Anyways, I'm Max Clark, and that was what I thought was going to be a short conversation about cables and turned into a long conversation about cables, and I hope you enjoyed it.